Hi everyone. If you're planning to potty train your child soon, you're going to really enjoy this episode. Welcome to Pelvic Matters. I'm your host, Marina Castellanos, a physical therapist specializing in the treatment of pelvic floor dysfunction for women and children. On today's episode, I have Kathy Corrier joining me. Kathy is a licensed occupational therapist in private practice in the New York City metropolitan area. She is also a licensed massage therapist. She is the author of The Practical Guide to Toilet Training the Autistic Child, Sensory Motor Secrets for Success, as well as three other books on raising special needs children, and she writes a pediatric blog, Baby Bites. Kathy has treated children and adults in a variety of settings for over 25 years, including schools, home care, hospitals, and outpatient clinics. She has written and lectured on sensory processing treatment, trauma recovery, pediatric massage, and pediatric behavioral issues. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thank you, Marina. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so thankful that you could be here today. And just to give everybody a little bit more background, you know, you and I, we met, I don't know how many years ago. <laughs> it was 10, at, maybe. Yeah, I would say that's a good estimation. And then we recently, you know, got the chance to reconnect um, over Zoom and kind of talk about what each other is up to, you know, nowadays. And it's been so great. And I feel like such great timing, especially since I have a toddler now who's going to be three over the summer and we're going to have to tackle potty training soon. So I feel like this is kind of divine intervention. Um, so I'm really excited to do the show. And I know a lot of parents are going to get so much great value and information out of it. Um, so why don't we just start off with um, a little bit about you know, what parents should know about the stage before potty training begins? Because really when everybody thinks about potty training, you know, we think about getting right to it, you know, putting the kid on the potty seat or on the toilet and, and having them in pull-ups and all of that stuff. So what do we need to know about the stage before all that begins? I, I think that stage is really critical for success. Um, I, I can think of three things that are important to accomplish before you start to train. Um, one is um, you would like to enhance your child's ability to uh, cooperate and connect with you um, because you will be teaching a skill. You will be teaching a complex sensory motor skill. Um, and so you, you want a you know, ready audience within you know, their, age, their age and their capacity. Um, you definitely want to in, uh, enhance their independence in other parts of self-care um, and maintaining the home. So if your child's not putting away their toys, if they just walk away, um, that's the time to create some fun containers um, with little pictures of the Legos or the cars and um, have them take responsibility for putting their toys away. Um, if they're not putting their plate in the sink, if they are, uh, you know, not putting on their socks or taking off their jacket by themselves. Um, usually children who are ready to, to toilet train should physically be able to do those things. This is the time um, to, um, to uh, make sure that they are doing those things and to praise them for, for being mature and, and being able to do that. Um, and uh, I think parents really need to work on their own abilities um, at that time, you know, uh, building your own patience, your own ability to, to focus um, on teaching them versus caring for them. Uh, one of the things that I uh, struggle with sometimes in my home sessions is nannies and babysitters who have a caring mentality. Their job is to do things for your child. Um, 
but um, if you want to teach a uh, skill for personal independence, what you really want to do is to always be training rather than always be caring. Absolutely. And so much of what you just said really resonates with me. I mean, not just as a physical therapist, but as a mom now too, going through all of these activities with my toddler. So let's, I want to ask you to clarify a little something for listeners um, when you describe potty training as a complex sensory motor skill. So let's, you know, for our listeners who aren't in, you know, our field, let's, let's clarify that a little bit more because when we think about potty training, you know, we don't tend to think of it as a sensory motor skill as a parent. So let's go over a little bit more about that. Well, the easiest way to understand it is to think about what you do when you use the toilet. So, you know, how do you know that you need to use the bathroom? Um, you, you perceive cues from your body. Those are sensory cues, whether they are a sense of fullness, a sense of pressure, um, you know, they, they, are, they are not um, billboards. They are sensory inputs that you interpret and you have learned a long time ago to associate those signals with, I need to excuse myself and use the bathroom. Um, children need to do the same thing. Um, and then if you, if you kind of in your mind, just mentally think about the last time you visited the potty, um, you know, you had to balance, you had to manipulate your clothing, you had to manipulate toilet paper, you had to manipulate the uh, toilet and flush it, you had to wash your hands. All of those are motor actions and coordinated motor actions, because if you do the wrong thing at the wrong time, it doesn't work very well. Um, unfortunately, a lot of potty training books emphasize the behavioral but um, I, I take a different view. It's not just because I'm an OT. It's because I'm uh, a very thoughtful, logical person. And the majority of toilet training um, is teaching sensory awareness. Um, doctors would call it urgency, as in, I know I need to go. Mm -hmm. um, and um, teaching them the, the motor sequence, the physical actions of pulling down your pants, pulling up your pants, wiping accurately and wiping where, quite frankly, you can't see. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's how I characterize it as a sensory motor skill. Um, I think psychologists see it as behavioral skill because one of my favorite sayings is, the only tool you have is a hammer, everything you see is a nail. That's right. And, and you know, I've discussed it, um, excuse me, I've discussed this with you a little bit, I think, like so many of the children who come to see me for pelvic floor dysfunction, you know, it's after, they've already tried everything else, including, you know, some kind of behavioral therapy and it just didn't work. And in a lot of times it actually made the situation worse. Um, so yeah, I, there's so much that goes on with potty training other than the behavioral side of it. And I really think that most parents are, are just led to believe, like you said, that it's really a behavioral skill when it's really a complex sensory motor skill, like you just described. Um, and really understanding that I think is so important for parents too. And you also mentioned, you know, how we need to build our patients level because this isn't something we can do for them. You know, it's something that we have to train them and teach them to do, to be aware of their cues from their body, how to coordinate um, their movements so that they can take clothes off, sit on the potty and feel safe there and, you know, so forth. So I think emphasizing that part of the situation is really helpful for parents before they get into the situation because otherwise I, I've met so many parents um, who just become so frustrated 
during potty training. And it's really, um, you know, and it's really sad when you feel helpless as a parent. So, you know, what we want to do is definitely build up the, the foundation before venturing into this new realm um, as parents. And then it's just going to make it that much smoother and that much easier, especially if, if issues do arise that need professional attention, um, you know, then we know that we need to seek help and it's not just some kind of like failure on part of the child or on part of the, the trainers who's ever doing it. Um, so yeah, definitely building up the patient's level is so, is such great advice and um, connecting it with other ways to just enhance overall independence. Like you were talking about, like taking off the coat, putting the dish in the sink, all these things are such great um, confidence boosters um, for little kids. And we tend to forget that because it is just so easy to put the dish in the sink for them and to take off their coat and, you know, we'll do it quicker and, um, you know, all right, you know, we'll have them do it later. You know, it's so easy to kind of take that approach, but taking the time to really help the kids learn to help themselves, um, you know, is so important. Um, so awesome. So, and you, that actually already kind of answered my second question about, you know, helpful habits that we can start implementing with the kids before trying to potty train. So like you said, just really um, working on their independence. Is there anything um, specific in terms of helpful habits that are geared more towards the potty and more towards bowel and bladder that we can kind of work on you know, beforehand? Oh, absolutely. Um, I can think of five. Um, uh, parents that are getting ready to train uh, need to uh, start paying a lot of attention to the nonverbal cues that their kid is giving out. Um, and that is not necessarily just cues for when they need to pee or poop. Um, so um, looking for thing, cues that you know, where you know your child is hungry, um, what, what their behaviors are around that, um, cues that they're tired. Um, once you start noticing phys nonverbal physical cues, um, it gets easier um, to get ready to notice those cues about um, peeing and pooping. So that, you know, the classic is the toddler who climbs behind the sofa to mm -hmm. go poop into their diaper. Um, I mean, the, obviously that child isn't showing you, I have a sense of urgency. I can tell the poop is about to come. And um, it's, it's a very primitive response to seek privacy, but it's also a very appropriate response. Um, evolutionary, it makes a lot of sense. So looking for those signs, I mean, the classic, you know, cr crossing the legs, you know, no, I don't have to pee, but you know, where their legs are, you know, crisscrossed, but every child is unique. Um, and your child is just as unique as any other child. So knowing what their signs are, um, and also noticing when that diaper fills up. So children that don't have, um, serious digestive problems, um, will show you um, a more regular elimination schedule. So you will know that they tend to poop, you know, often they tend to poop about 30 minutes after eating a meal because of the gastrocolic reflex, mm -hmm. um, where it stimulates peristalsis through your digestive system. That's not conscious. That's simply your body responding to food entering your stomach. Um, you know, or um, noticing that if they have slugged down four to eight ounces of, of some drink, um, that after about 30 to 45 minutes, their kidneys are going to create a lot of urine mm -hmm. and that diaper is going to get very full. Um, so noticing that and, and um, you know, getting cued into that is going to be really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, I, I encourage people to reconsider 
allowing grazing, you know, like walking around with a bag of goldfish or walking around with a sippy cup, because if your child is constantly consuming, they're also constantly eliminating. And it's gonna be nearly impossible to predict when they'll need to use the toilet. Okay. Um, and th those are habits. Um, obviously that doesn't substitute for feeding and hydrating your kid. So you absolutely want to make sure that they're well-fed and well-hydrated. They're just not constantly consuming it. It's nearly impossible to, to guess correctly um, uh, under the other circumstance. Um, I would say that people start to need to use the names for body parts and body actions that yeah. they intend to use in toilet training. Um, my, mo my mother was the secretary to a gynecologist to the stars in Manhattan. So um, I knew, I knew the, the medical names for body parts way before any of my friends did. Yeah. Um, but you don't have to use those names. You can use whatever names you intend to use um, when you are going to do potty training. But um, that, I think that's extremely important. That can happen today while you're diapering. You are simply describing what's going on. One of the um, techniques I mention in my book is something called collaborative diapering. And, and that's one, a cornerstone, uh, building cooperation and instruction in your regular everyday diapering. It is no longer an opportunity for them to watch Paw Patrol while you are changing their diaper. They, they are more involved. Um, and um, the last thing I can think of is modeling gritty reactions to accidents like spilling a drink or having the, you know, your Lego house collapse. Um, children need to see how you handle accidents because if you're gonna train, accidents will happen. And um, so you want to model, oh, well, you know, that happened, here's our solution. Next time we're going to build Legos on a more stable surface, not on the wobbly couch cushions because that's why it fell down. Um, and if you think your child isn't paying attention to that, um, you are incorrect. Your child is watching and listening to just about everything you do and taking it in. Um, so you want to you want to model. This is you know accidents are no big deal. We don't overreact to them. We also don't under respond to them. Um, and we go and life goes on. Mm -hmm. Readiness. Readiness. I love that. So I think um, again. So many good tips there. I love what you were saying about collaborative diapering because um, I'm definitely guilty of trying to distract my toddler with a TV show, just so she'll stay put and I can diaper her. And lately that's been a huge struggle even with TV. So I definitely understand um, you know, why we wanna do that because now she's already telling me, she's giving me such a hard time with diapering. She wants to hear nothing about going on the potty. So I'm not pushing it. And it's definitely um, you know, a work in progress for us, but absolutely. I totally see now the error of my ways <laughs> with getting her to rely on um, you know, outside simulation, like a television, just to get through the diaperings again, a parent, we just want to do it. We want to get it over with. Um, you know, we're not kind of looking at the big picture because it's just a busy day. Um, so that's a really great tip, um, for parents to try to incorporate into their day too. And I love the, and I love what you mentioned about not overreacting for accidents. Um, cause also when you start to potty train, I mean, what we call accidents, I mean, it's just still normal, um, bladder functioning. So when you start to potty train and your child, you know, if they're starting to 
urine is going to come out at night. I mean, day, you know, daytime dryness comes well before nighttime dryness, as you already know. So I feel like once people start the potty training stage, they automatically start calling that nighttime wetness like an accident, but it really isn't. Um, that's something that is physiologically supposed to still happen, you know, for quite some time after you're dry during the day. So I think looking at our reactions for, you know, wetting at night or still using the pull up at night, like it's, you know, it's okay. Not everything's going to happen all at once. And it's really not, it's not supposed to, um, to be, to be perfectly honest, because then if there is stress involved with the potty training situation, then those are the kids who end up coming to see me because they've learned to withhold um, and just not be able to let out anything, then there's constipation and then there will be bedwetting at a later time. And you know, this kind of spirals into other conditions like fecal incontinence and stuff. So I think setting a good example for not overreacting to any accidents and just sets the good, sets a good foundation, sets a good stage for when that happens during that potty training time. So that, okay, well, you know, it's all right. We're going to change the way we do this and we're going to listen to our body in a different way and, you know, and so forth. So I think those are really all just um, great tips for parents to kind of take in and kind of see how they can um, transition those maybe into their day to day. Um, I um, mentioned that um, with older children, you know, children that are, say, over three um, or children that are extremely bright. Um, where you just know they, they, they just pick up things so easily. Um, there is often a huge problem with fear of failure. Children that refuse to be potty trained have, are all, often a little older and have figured out, I could fail at this. Nobody fails at um, pooping into a diaper. Um, so if you have a child that is really failure averse, um, and you probably know that because they get upset when they can't draw a circle or when their crayon breaks or when they can't do something at the park that their older sibling can do. Um, that, that is a child that desperately needs you to model of, of appropriate reactions to accidents, accidental spilling, accidental breaking of toys. Um, and you might even need to craft some things like, oh my, look at that, my cookie broke on the floor. Oh, well, I'll just go get another one. It's not a big deal to me. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I, unfortunately, I, when I'm called for consultation for an older child that's neurotypical, um, it's often because that child has a impressively strong fear of failure. Yeah. Yeah. And I've definitely had my share of working with children over the years, just for general um, gross motor delays and PT that, you know, they just were so upset if they couldn't do an activity and, you know, needed to really understand that sometimes skills take practice and that's okay that you don't do it the right way the first time. Like it's 100% okay. So I definitely understand what you're saying. I think children um, can definitely put a lot of pressure on themselves as well. Um, so again, yes. great modeling from the parents is really is really vital in this situation. Um, the, the best way for a parent to to think about it is to remember what it was like to learn to drive a car mm -hmm. um, and how unsuccessful you were at the very beginning. Um, and and that both gives you a sense of humility and an intimate sense of what it felt like to fail repeatedly, um, because very few people learn, um, you know, just right out of the box, how to parallel park. That's true. 
so I know what you're you saying, know, Kathy, I was perfect at parallel parking right off the bat. Yeah. Sure you were. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, so so you know, for for parents who who you know, none of us really have any sense of any memory of what it was like to learn how to use the toilet. Trying to remember how you learned to parallel park that might be a good way to remember what constant failure feels like and how important it is to instill uh, hope and grittiness in your child. Awesome, awesome. So kind of taking all this into account, you know, before starting to potty train, you know, what are those biggest signs that, okay, we're here, let's start, let's start working on this. Let's start actually doing the potty training. What are some of those big things that will yell out at parents that a child is ready? Um, well, first, um, there are three things that parents need to get ready to do. Um, one is to have the right equipment. Um, okay. Children need to feel safe and stable. So um, some of the little guys really need a potty seat because it sits right on the floor. You cannot fall very far if you are sitting on that seat. Um, some of the bigger kids can't sit comfortably on a seat that low. They're not made for three-year-olds. So they're going to need um, a toilet seat insert or one of those toilet seats that have both a child size opening as well as an adult size opening. Those screw right onto your toilet. Um, you probably need some good quality toilet paper. Nobody likes their fingers going through really crummy paper no. um, or, um, or flushable wipes, um, which are not generally all that flushable. Your septic system will not survive. So you have to think about what, how to dispose of them. Um, and parents also need to have clothing that's not going to get in the way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, lycra leggings, little shark bite tops on little girls that drop into the potty um, or into their genitals. Bad idea. Um, you know, cute jeans where they have fasteners that, that a young child can't manipulate. Those are a huge problem. So, um, you know, th those are things parents need to think about, um, you know, the money and the time that they're going to spend. Um, you know, it, it does take time to train. There's no question about it. If you are looking for speed, um, diapering, it, you know, usually by the time your child is two, you are a, a master at diapering. You can do it like a pit stop. Um, that doesn't teach your child much of anything, but it does get it, the problem out of the way. Um, so kids need to have physiologic readiness. Um, you know, they should probably have a diaper that stays dry for an hour and a half to, to two hours at some point when they are awake. So again, not during a nap and not at night. Um, that is an indication that the, um, the nerves and the muscles for elimination are fully myelinated, that they're, they're fully mature. That's why we don't toilet train seven month olds. Mm -hmm. um, and why it's and not just a behavioral yeah, no, no. It, I mean, if you don't have the neurological capability, mm -hmm. you, you can't. Um, children who, who are um, profoundly involved neurologically can develop uh, toileting routines, but they will not be able to be independently toileted because they, you know, they, they don't have the preparation. Um, you know, um, kids need to have a pain-free and regular bowel routine. A child who is constantly constipated or has um, varies between constipation and diarrhea is going to be nearly impossible to train successfully. Mm -hmm. um, and they need to be able to manage the clothing at least a little bit um, and to sit on a potty seat or a toilet without falling off. Mm -hmm. Really important, an unsafe person 
um, cannot relax those sphincter muscles and eliminate. Um, they, you really don't need a lot of cognitive or language skill. You need it, uh, your child has to be able to function at about an 18 month level, which is not particularly dramatic. They have to recognize their name. They know, need to know those, the names of those body parts and actions. They need to be able to follow a really simple routine with you know, maybe just a gesture or a tap um, physically. Um, and uh, that's about it. They, you really do not need a tremendous amount of language skill or cognitive skill. Um, the bigger, I think the biggest important um, thing to remember is they need to be able to handle some frustration and they need to have some motivation, whether it's a reward that you're gonna give them, praise that you are going to give them. Um, uh, they, they need to have some motivation to do this. If their motivation um, you know, in your regular day is to frustrate you or discourage you, if they're in that phase, you can still train, but you're gonna to have to work a lot harder. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I, I recommend um, the techniques that um, Dr. Harvey Karp teaches. He's the guy that wrote The Happiest Baby on the Block and The Happiest Toddler on the Block. Mm -hmm. And The Happiest Toddler on the Block is um, came out in 2004, and um, I, it, it turned into my Bible because it made my job as a pediatric OT a lot easier. Mm -hmm. um, and he specifically talks about building patients. He has a technique called patient stretching um, that works for potty training, but it works for everything else as well. Um, he has a technique to manage resistance called the fast food rule. Um, which you can adapt for just about any degree of frustration and age level. Um, and um, he does something called time ins, where you are specifically creating positive interactions with your child. You, mm -hmm. you really want to put money in the bank before you start frustrating them and teaching them something that's challenging. Um, and um, I, I, I think Harvey Karp does a great job of explaining how to get the best out of your toddler without being punitive. He, he really is that. excited about, you know, building cooperation and, and, and building af affection and self-regulation. Um, it, it makes life a lot easier. Absolutely. Than, you know, <laughs> than any, any other strategy that I could come up with. Yeah, I think everybody can agree to that. I'm we want to make our day just flow better and have more cooperation and, you know, more time ins and quality time, you know, with our little ones that are just, you know, positive and right. positive. I, I love that. I think it's so true. And again, it's easily to get sidetracked. Um, okay. So we are just about getting towards the end of the show today. Um, you've already given us Kathy so much valuable info um, and I want to give you a little bit of an opportunity to talk about your resources, your books that you've come up with. Um, so let's share with everybody a little bit about, you know, these wonderful offerings that you have to share. Oh, terrific. Um, so my most recent book is The Practical Guide to Toilet Training the Autistic Child. Um, and uh, a lot of the techniques that I mentioned today are in there because <clears throat> autistic children really need just very, very high quality approaches um, to get around some of the sensory and communication and social issues that they have. Um, so I, I would, you know, I would say that my book, even though it is written for the autistic child, um, really contains some of my best techniques for neurotypical kids. 
Um, I also wrote um, the practical guide to toilet training your child with low muscle tone because children that have Prader-Willi or Down syndrome um, or idiopathic low muscle tone, in other words, low muscle tone with no, um, no medical diagnosis, um, do have slightly different issues. They have uh, more postural and stability issues. Um, so uh, that is a, uh, that's a slightly different uh, area of concern. Um, and I wrote a couple of books on um, managing kids with hypermobility, not necessarily just toilet training, um, but all aspects of um, self-care, uh, school performance, how to pick the right high chair, the right spoons and forks for your child, um, and uh, how to go to IEP meetings and CPSC meetings like a pro. Wow. And all of those books are available um, on Amazon um, and on a, a website for, for therapists called yourtherapysource.com. Um, uh, yourtherapysource.com sells my book as eBooks. Uh, Amazon sells them as paperbacks and as eBooks. Okay, so we have some variety, awesome. Um, that is so amazing. And you're just such a, such a great resource um, for parents in all these different areas of development. So thank you so much for coming on the show. What's the best way if parents want to get in touch with you or look into your um, services as an OT more? What's the best way for them to reach out to you? Um, probably sending me um, uh, an email message. Um, my email is C, which is the first letter of my first name, and then my last name, C-O-L-L-Y-E-R, and then my professional designation, O-T-R, at gmail.com. Awesome, awesome. Kathy, thank you so much for coming out to the show and sharing all this wonderful information and all these great tips with listeners. I know parents are going to get so much out of it. I know I got a lot out of it. So um, I was so happy to have you come on today. Thank you. It was a pleasure, Marina. All right. So everybody who's tuning in, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pelvic Matters. And don't forget to tune in again next time. Have a great day, everybody.